I'm Bob Neenover, this is my wife Rhonda, and this is my miracle story. Back in 2009, I started having what unknown to me were seizures, I always called them a spell, where my palms would start sweating and the top of my head started sweating and I would daze out um, into just a fog and it was called an absence seizure. I had one while I was at work, I worked for International Paper and um, I just froze, I never freeze. And the, the ladies I worked with called my wife Rhonda, who was Dr. Ball's nurse at the time, and said, um, there's something wrong with Bob. So she called me and said, you need to come down, we need to do an exam. So I got in the car and I came down, and right when I was at the doctor's office, you know, it's kind of like taking your car in, it never happens. But when I was there, all of a sudden, I had a seizure right in front of me. So we knew at that moment it was neurological. So Dr. Ball sent you for a CT that hour. Um, Dr. Ball came to me when he found out the results. You were still at the CT location. Um, I didn't want to talk to him. I could just tell by his face there was something off. Um, he took me in a room and told me that he, they had found a tumor in his brain. It was pretty large. I remember Dr. Ball telling me everything about the CT and I just remember that I kind of was freaking out. I really wasn't even listening. It was like an out-of-body experience. And Dr. Ball kind of startled me and, and called my name. And I looked at him and he said, you know, right now, let's take everything we medically know about a brain tumor and let's take it out of the equation and let's bring God in because he's the ultimate healer. He's the ultimate physician. And so he prayed for me right there. He stopped everything. Um, we had such a peaceful time. It was like Dr. Ball was my miracle to be with me at that moment, um, to pray and give me such peace. And I've carried that throughout my life, our life. Um, we'll always stop and bring God into the situation, whatever that we've had come between us. Um, so they sent you for an MRI. The MRI radiologist told us it was cancer. We went to a neurosurgeon that day after the MRI. Um, the neurosurgeon came in, we were crying. He said, why are you crying? And I said, you know, my husband's got cancer, and he said, I don't think it's cancer, and you're in the best location for this surgery because I am the teacher that teaches on the equipment that's needed for the surgery. There was only four in the United States of America, and Memphis was one of the locations. Um, so that was another piece. God brought us that physician through Dr. Ball, um, and he didn't think it was cancer. So you had the surgery a week later. Um, that's right. It took two weeks for the results, and the results came up benign. You did and, not have and cancer. And God orchestrated itself throughout this process. I mean, from the time that relocated us here from Ohio, just four years earlier, to a place where the surgery could take place, to seeing people praying for us all over the world, from Africa to Hawaii, through uh, um, care bridges, because it was prior to Facebook for all you young people. Um, but they. It was unbelievable just to see everybody coming to us and people coming to me and saying, we were looking at your faith to see how strong it was. And God showed up and he showed through and just- He showed off. off. He, did. <laughs> he did, he showed off. He did. And to this day, I still have people come up to me and say, it's just amazing what you went through. And I said, it's, it's, it's not amazing, it's, it's all God. And that's my miracle story. I hope that you are encouraged uh, by these testimonies. Uh, if you've missed any of them, I encourage you to go uh, back on our website or go to YouTube slash Gatewell Church. Check those out. And you want to follow us on social media. 
because we've got some bonus stories coming your way on that platform, and you don't want to miss those, some more miracles of what God is doing. Well, God is still in the miracle business. I wish I could share with you all the miracles that I've experienced in my life, have seen uh, when I've gone overseas to other parts of the world. Uh, I've seen many miracles. Wish I could walk through all of those with you and be glad to uh, sometime we'll have coffee and, and we'll, we'll talk about some of those stories. But God still does miracles. He moves in ways that God does things that only God can do. And that's a good thing because sometimes we need God to do what only God can do. And we need to start with this position that we understand there's sometimes where I need to get out of the way and let God do what God can do. And the moment when I realize that it's not up to me, that I can't fix the circumstances, that I can't change the situation, that, that I can't change what's happening, oftentimes that is the beginning of the miracle. Because it pushes us to come to God in a position of dependence and a position of obedience. And when we are fully dependent and fully obedient to God, we are opening ourselves up to the power and the presence of God to work. And when God does that, we need to respond. Let me ask you, how many of you in your life, maybe uh, for you particularly or just somebody around you, you've seen a miracle of God? Just show of hands. I mean, look at all these hands up. I mean, can we praise God for a second? Like of the way that God works in our lives. And how we respond to those miracles is critical because your response and my response will determine our future. What we do with our encounter with Jesus is absolutely going to dictate where we go. Now remember, we talked about this in week one. Why is it that God does miracles? Three reasons. He wants to point to the identity of Jesus. He wants to build the faith of those who see it or experience it. And he wants to bring glory to God. So in other words, when God moves a power, in power there's always a purpose. And that means that God does miracles not just to make our life better, not just to make us more comfortable, but he's embedding in it a purpose to bring him glory. In other words, there's a calling that comes with the miracle. And we don't need to miss it. So we're going to look at one of the stories in the Gospels where Jesus does a miracle. And we see very clearly the proper response of what we are to do when God moves in power. So if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 17, and we're going to start in verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. In other words, look, this is the one who's not supposed to be the hero in the story. And yet he's the one who gets it. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. And a couple of things that 
that we need to realize about how God does miracles and how we respond. And here's the first thing that I want us to see in our response to miracles is that it is always good to ask God for a miracle. I mean, these 10 lepers have an encounter with Jesus on his way to somewhere else because that's what God wanted to happen. In other words, this is a holy appointment that God had made. Maybe you've experienced that before where you didn't make an appointment with God, but God made an appointment with you. He had a holy appointment where he wanted to do something or say something or teach something to you. And that's what happens in the lives of these 10 lepers. And, and they have an opportunity for a miracle for the very fact that they are encountering Jesus. And they stand at a distance and look clearly at what happens in verse 13. It says, they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. So much packed into these few little words. And the first thing that we see is that they realize that Jesus has power. They realize that they have a problem and Jesus has the power to overcome their problem. And when we call out to God knowing that Jesus has the power to do something about our problem, he is never going to reprimand us. He's never going to say, how dare you call out to me? I'm too busy. I got better things. No, he is always ready to embrace us. And he loves for his children. He loves for those he has created to come to him and say, God, I need you to move. The second thing that we see here is they realize Jesus has the power. The second, they realize they need mercy. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. You see, we don't come to God asking for a miracle because we deserve it or have earned it or have a good reputation. We come with the same words, Jesus, have mercy on me. Do a miracle in my life because of who you are, for your name's sake, because you are good and loving and full of compassion and mercy. Jesus, Master, have pity on us. The third thing that we see here is that they just ask. Will you do, you have the power, will you do something about it? And Jesus turns to them and responds. And he brings a healing in their life. So the second thing we see, it's always good to ask. Number two, be careful not to miss God in the process. Because how is it that Jesus responded? Did he say, Bam, you're healed. No, he says, I want you to go to the priest and present yourself. And there, he was doing something very, very important here. Number one, as he's living into their, their faith culture, he's doing what the Old Testament told them to do. Go present yourself to the priest. But the key was not that the priest had some kind of magical pixie dust or that he was going to say some kind of chant over them. The whole point of going to the priest was the presentation, not the healing. In other words, you were presenting that you had already been healed so that you could be restored to the community. The healing wasn't in the priest. The healing was in Jesus, but Jesus wanted them to go. As I look through the Gospels, and as you do as well, you will find that there are times where Jesus just speaks a word and somebody is healed. There are times where Jesus reaches out and touches someone and they're healed. Jesus had all capability in the world to just speak in that moment and they could have been healed in an instant. But that's not what Jesus wanted for them. 
He wanted a process of healing because Jesus wasn't just concerned about what was on the outside. He was concerned about what was on the inside. And while there was a physical healing taking place, there was also a spiritual healing taking place, at least in one of them. He wanted this individual to realize that it wasn't just about the power, but there was an invitation to wrestle with what is happening. Not just that I'm going to be restored to community, restored to, to come and worship, restored to be able to hang out with other people, but it was he saw something in me that he wants to change my life and, and perhaps there's something new for me to pursue in my life. It says that while he was on the way to the priest, he realized a healing had taken place. Now some of us here, You've been calling out to God for a miracle. And it feels like God has said no to you. And listen, sometimes God says no. And we're going to talk about that next week. So come back next week and we're going to say, what do we do when God says no? How do we respond in that time? But sometimes what feels like a no, God is saying, I want you to wait. Because I do have something in your life I want to do. But the greater work I want to do is in you, not around you. In your heart, not in your body. In your spirit, not in your circumstances. And so I've got a journey for you to go on. And if we're just fixated on the outcome of what we think God needs to do, we might miss him in the process. So we've got to be careful that we don't miss God in the process. Number three, we see that the only proper response to miracles is worship. So the man realizes, oh my goodness, a healing has taken place and he comes back doing what? Two things, praising God and then he falls at the feet of Jesus. He comes and he says, Lord, I, I've just got to praise God. I've got to thank him. I've got to worship him because he's changed my life. And I've got to bow down to you because I realize, Jesus, you are master. You are Lord. You are Messiah. You are God in the flesh. And I'm going to give up everything I have to follow you. And the way that I'm going to show that is I fall at your feet. That's the way that we respond. When God moves in our lives, we don't just start chasing again after what we thought was important before. We come and we say, Lord, let me worship you. And here's the thing about that worship, is that worship is not just a moment, it is ongoing. Every day, every second. Worship doesn't just happen when we gather on Sunday or when you turn on Christian radio in your car or when you come to a group on Wednesday night. It is all the time, every opportunity that we have to tell somebody about Jesus, every time we get to lift up our voice in praise or thank God or pray to God or look for him or listen to him, every moment that we can say, God, thank you for the breath in my lungs and the heartbeat in my chest, every moment can be a moment for worship. And when we string those moments together, you know what we find is we find a life of worship. Because here's what I believe about that man. As he came and he bowed down and he realized who Jesus was. I think his life was changed forever. 
I don't think he went back to ordinary. I think he lived a life of worship. And here's why I believe that is because Jesus said to him, number one, where are the other nine? Meaning what you're doing is the right thing. But the second thing he said is because of your faith, you are healed. And here's the thing about that word healed. It's the word sozo, S-O-Z-O. And a lot of times in our Bibles, it's translated as healing, like well-being, physical healing. But a lot of times it's, it's used to display a saving activity of God. In other words, to be healed and to be saved in the New Testament, same word. So what's he saved from? Well, he's saved from leprosy. That's good. He's saved from isolation. That's good. He's saved to be able to go back to the assembly and worship. That's good. But I think even more than that, he's saved from all that the old life held for him and saved for the new life where he said, I bow down and I've surrendered to you. But here's the tragic part of the story. It's kind of obvious, right? That nine of the ten missed it. Now I love what Luke does here. As you read through the Gospel of Luke, in particular of all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, Luke has an order to the way that he tells the story. If you go back to Luke 1, remember what he says? I'm going to give you an orderly account. And so often what Luke will do is after Jesus does a miracle, he'll have Jesus teaching in some context to make sense of the miracle that just happened. So right after this miracle, Jesus is talking with some Pharisees and they ask him, well, when is the kingdom going to come? And he basically tells the Pharisees, listen, you're not going to see the kingdom because you're looking in all these places with things that you think it's going to look like, but the kingdom is already in your midst. And then he turns to his disciples and he said, listen, guys, a lot of people are going to tell you that the kingdom is coming and here it is, or it's there and here's the Messiah. And you are going to long to be able to see the Son of Man. And then he talks about when Jesus comes again, when the kingdom comes to earth in, in its fullness at the end of time, that it's going to be like the days of Noah and people are just going about their everyday business and, and they're doing their thing. Or it's going to be like the days of Lot. Remember the story of Lot in Genesis where Lot and his wife are saved in a miraculous way. God sends an angel into Sodom and Gomorrah and he takes Lot and his family and he pulls them out. And then they get up to the mountain and they're going to go to this new life. And they're being saved from two things. They're being saved from the evil of those cities, but also God's judgment on those cities. Right? This should ring a bell for us. Jesus comes that we would be saved from the evil of the world and God's judgment on the world. And then they get to the top and he says, I've got a new life for you. And she turns around and she looks. Because she missed that what God was calling to her to was before her, not behind her. And Jesus is, is teaching this moment. He says, don't be like that. For if you hold on to your life, you're going to lose it. You got to be willing to lose your life so that you can find it. And nine of the ten lepers even though they experienced a miracle in their flesh, missed the miracle of their spirit that God wanted to do for them. They saw it, but they didn't see. And so that's the point that Jesus is making is there's an invitation embedded in this miracle. And what we do with our encounter with Jesus in this life, we only get one life. 
What we do with our encounter with Jesus in this life is going to dictate what happens when he comes again. What our relationship and our future will be then. And he says, don't miss it. May we be like the one who returned and bowed down. So quickly, what, what does that look like for us? Let me just give you three things and we'll close out. Our response of worship, number one, we've got to look for the person of Jesus and not just the power of Jesus. The nine lepers who were healed, they wanted the power of Jesus. They wanted to be healed. We know that because when they got what they wanted, they went on with their life. It was very clear that that's what they wanted. But one of them realized that he was being offered something more. I remember years ago, we had Pastor Terry Teichel stand on the stage and he was teaching about prayer. And he made this statement that we cannot be so preoccupied with seeking the hand of God that we miss the face of God. I wonder how many of us have seen the hand of God and we know nothing of God's presence. And so we've got to be very careful that we're looking for the person of Jesus. That's the greater miracle. The second thing that, that we can do is we've got to make sure that we don't look back. Now, I want to be clear here because this is, can be confusing. What I mean is once we receive the miracle of God, there's a real temptation for us to look to God and say, Man, God, thank you. That was a real hurdle for my agenda and my kingdom and what I'm trying to accomplish. And I'm really grateful you got that out of the way for me so that I can go back to the life I wanted to live before. That's a very real temptation for us. But we can't look back on the old life we had before. We've got to look back on Jesus. We've got to go back to him. Not the life that we thought was so important. Not the status quo. What this man experienced when he came back to Jesus was an invitation to a brand new life. A couple of people that I think really stand out in the Gospels for me. One was Lazarus. One was the paralyzed man. And then one was this guy. And here's why. He was a living witness regardless of whatever came out of his mouth. Every single time somebody saw him, he was a witness for Jesus. And he was thrust into a new life where everything changed. It wasn't about going back to what he had before. And the same is true for us. If you've experienced a miracle in your life, if God has moved in your life, if Jesus has made a move toward you and you have seen it, the call is to move forward. A new life of purpose, a new life of joy, a new calling, a new purpose for you to, to surround your, your focus on. Where it's not building your kingdom, but it's building God's kingdom. We can't look back to what we thought was so important before. And then finally... Choose complete surrender. May we be like this guy who came and he fell at Jesus' feet. There was a great miracle, physical healing. But the real miracle in this story is, as we touched on, is he was saved. He was healed from the inside out. And he came and he said, Lord, you really are master. Not just like in a general sense, master of the world. But what he was saying to Jesus when he came back and he fell at his feet is, you are master of my life. 
I think perhaps for many of us as we encounter Jesus, the final idol that we've got to tear down is this idol of control. Or we want so desperately to be in control of our lives, our decisions, our actions, our direction, our destination. But that's not worship. At least not of God. It might be worship of you. But what would it look like for us to come and say, Lord, I worship you, which means you are in total control. That's what it means. Every decision, every action, every relationship, every attitude, every yes and every no, every feeling is filtered through serving Jesus. It's filtered through prayer. It's filtered through the word of God. It's filtered through godly counsel. It's filtered through worship. It's filtered through a seeking of God. It's essentially coming to God and praying what Jesus prayed in the garden. Not my will, but your will be done. If God has moved in your life in a miraculous way of circumstances, of events, of of healing, of of restoration, of redemption. I have so many stories in my own life I could share. I promise you this. It is always partnered with a calling to surrender. In fact, the very reason you might be waiting is because God knows you're not ready to surrender. And God will not move in your life And give something to you that you will turn to an idol of your own heart. What would it look like for us to say, Lord, I completely surrender to you? Because God is in the miracle business. But the greatest miracle that he wants to do is in your heart to receive salvation, to restore you to relationship with him. Are you ready to respond to that? Are we paying attention to what God is doing? Are we listening for his voice? And it always means two things, that we remember who he is and we worship him for who he is.